Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the hypothesis that banning negative gearing will actually force you to become a better property investor or will force people to really think uh, more carefully about property investment, more correctly. So unless you've uh, been living under a rock, you will realise that the Labor Party has suggested they'll ban negative gearing on any um, newly purchased established properties, so it doesn't apply to, to existing investments, um, after a yet-to-be-determined date. And uh, they will ban negative gearing in respect to those properties. And obviously, if you don't get negative gearing benefits, then the cash flow cost to hold a property is going to be a lot higher than what it is today with negative gearing benefits because you don't get that tax break. Um, And so my um, hypothesis is that I think if this goes ahead, well, if Labor wins and Labor gets the policy introduced as proposed, I think it's going to force people to become better property investors. So too many people are, I think, persuaded or seduced by tax benefits. And there's really two um, tax benefits that are key uh, with respect to to property investment. And the problem with being persuaded by tax benefits is that the, the tax benefits will one day evaporate, will dry up. Tax benefits aren't perpetual, whereas the quality of an asset is perpetual. The quality of the asset very rarely changes. It can, but it very rarely changes with property. And if it does change, it will take many, many decades. But putting that aside, that's rare. The quality of your asset will not change, but the tax consequences will over time. And that's because of the nature of the asset. And as the asset grows, it will produce more income, so there won't be a loss. So fundamentally, the asset will, the proponents of return will change. But also, obviously, tax rules and legislation and so forth will change over the time of ownership too. So my, um, my advice would be to really focus on the fundamentals of the asset and then the, the, the tax, tax outcomes are really just a consequence of that investment, aren't the, are not the reasons for that investment. Now that's my advice, but um, uh, my observation over the last 16, 17 years is distinctly different, that people are seduced by tax benefits. And the reason they're seduced by tax benefits is because people are very short-sighted. People tend to think about the next one or two years rather than the next one or two decades when making financial decisions. Um, so there's two key uh, tax benefits with respect to property that are widely promoted. The first one's depreciation benefits. And obviously depreciation is a measure of a dwelling's reduction in value over time. So the dwelling's part, the, the building component of the property, not the obviously land component of the property, and as a, if you go and buy a new build property, you know, the depreciation will be significant over the first decade of ownership. A little bit like when you go and buy a brand new car, they say when you drive it off, drive it off the lot, it immediately de- de- depreciates by 10%. You've lost 10% of value, bang, like that. Well, very similar with property. You've got a shiny brand new property. You've probably paid uh, a lot more for building value than you have land value, and that building value will depreciate considerably over the next 10 years. And in 10 years' time, based on how they're, the quality of the average built property today, in 10 years' time, you'll have to end up um, spending a lot on maintenance and so forth just to keep it uh, looking um, serviceable. Um, and so the problem with depreciation is obviously then you need the land value to appreciate 
in dollar terms by as much as the depreciation to at least offset that reduction in value. And then you want it to obviously appreciate by more so the overall value of the asset uh, is increasing. Uh, that's unlikely with a new build property because you don't have a big enough land value component. So, you know, if you've spent a million dollars and you've only got a $100,000 land value component and that property is depreciating, depreciating, that land value component has to triple in value, for example, over the first couple of years just to even um, provide you a very modest overall return. And, you know, if you're investing on the hope that land will triple in value in a very relatively short period of time, um, I think you're, um, <laughs> you're making a, a poor assumption. The second one is negative gearing, obviously, and that just allows us to offset any losses that we make with our investment against other income, so our salary income, and reduce our overall tax payable. So really, we, depending on what marginal tax rate we are at, we'll get that level of tax break. So if we're on 39%, 39% of our uh, loss will be funded through a redu reduction in taxes, and so we only have to pick up really 60% of the, the gross or, or the net uh, pre-tax loss of a, a property. Um, now, the problem with negative gearing is that you're losing money, right? That, that Just the mere fact that you've got negative gearing benefit is that you've, because you've lost money. And the only reason you'd lose money is that you hope to pick it up on the other end, so from a capital growth perspective. And probably the best example is uh, in the stock market is Amazon, for example. So today, Amazon's worth $830 billion US dollars, so over a trillion Aussie dollars. Um, however, it makes, in terms of profit, about $3 billion. Uh, US dollars a year. So, I mean, $3 billion is a lot of money, but not for a company that's worth $830 billion. But more, more, more than that, it's negative cash flow. It burns more cash flow than it makes, and it's never paid a dividend. So clearly, if you're buying Amazon shares, you aren't buying for income. You're buying on the hope that, um, uh, that, that it's going to be worth a lot more in the future. Well, it's already worth at 104 times earnings, so I'm not sure uh, whether I believe it will be worth more in the future, but anyway, that's a different conversation for another day. Uh, the same concept, however, applies to property investment. If you're going to make a property investment and you're going to lose $10,000 a year in terms of after-tax income just because you're funding that investment, you absolutely want to be um, rewarded for that fact or compensated for that fact through, in the long run, good, a good level of capital growth. So you want to make sure that that $10,000 expense per year is will be, in 20 years' time, completely immaterial. You know, you look at that and you go, that's nothing compared to the equity they'll have in the property. So that's why I think you'll have to be, or investors will have to be, you're forced to be more picky in the future if we don't have negative gearing. Because the cash flow cost of a property will be a lot higher and we'll have to then really prudently look at and say, okay, if I'm going to lose instead of $10,000, it's going to be $15,000 a year because I don't have a negative gearing. I really want to be as certain as possible, almost virtually certain that in the long run, I'm investing in such a quality property that I'm going to be well rewarded for that fact. And I've done some um, analysis and over a 20 year period, you need a, a, a capital growth rate of about 0.4 of a percent higher than what you'd need today without with, with uh, negative gearing. So therefore we need, let's just call it half a percent. We need half a percent more capital growth to compensate us for the fact um, or the po possibility that we won't have negative gearing in the future. So therefore you absolutely have to nail asset selection. Now I think that's that's the case with or without negative gearing, 
But if we're not going to have those tax benefits and the cash flow cost to hold property uh, is increased, then we really need to have a, a heightened focus on the quality of the assets. So how do you do that? Well, you stick to the fundamentals, and I've got a link to the blog in the show notes, which outlines the three core fundamentals that I believe all investment-grade property must have. The first one is that it's got to have a strong land value component. Land appreciates, building depreciate, um, and it's land that we as investors are interested in. The dwelling is the tenant will be mostly uh, interested in and will dictate its income, but we don't really care about the dwelling. We're happy to have really a basic dwelling on a, on a land just to generate some rental income as long as um, that land is located in a, an area that's fantastic. So you want more than 50% of the overall property value to be representing land value. The second thing is you want scarcity. So you want the land to be located in a, in a location that it has a very finite supply of land. And hopefully there's actually no supply of vacant land. So really within a sort of 20 to 30 minute drive, you shouldn't be able to find or at least vacant land is incredibly scarce. Now in new build areas, you know, you'll drive 10 minutes, five minutes or around the block and you'll find lots of uh, vacant land. That doesn't create scarcity and that then doesn't um, position us to necessarily enjoy a lot of capital growth. Secondly, you want the land to be located in an area that's in high demand. So you want to then consider, you know, the school shops, medical facilities, parks, public transport, arterial roads, all those sorts of amenities that make an area very livable for not only owner-occupiers but tenants. Thirdly, you want that area to be dominated by owner-occupiers, not investors. So again, inner-city high-rise apartment areas, they tend to be dominated by investor owners and there's a lot of renters in there you don't want to be invested in that sort of market and lastly you want the architecture of the the property you're buying to be scarce also because that creates that sort of scarcity element so first one strong land value component second one scarcity the third one is and this is a core tenant of uh, evidence-based investing and, and an evidence-based investing approach means that you only invest if there's overwhelming evidence that demonstrates that you'll achieve good outcomes. Um, and so the third one is that the property must have demonstrated its capacity to generate strong capital growth over the long run. So therefore, if you have a look at its past sales over the past two, three or four decades and you calculate a compounding capital growth rate over the, that sort of period of time, it builds a strong picture of strong capital growth. If, if it doesn't have a strong history of capital growth, my argument would be why take the risk? Because what you're sort of su- suggesting is that the future or, or the, the, the past won't repeat itself, that the future will be different to what the past will be. Um, well, you want to have a really strong reason uh, for ignoring the history of a, of a performance. Uh, so they're the three things. Uh, investing in investment-grade property uh, will put you in a good position to more than offset the loss of negative gearing if it, if it occurs in the future. Now, this really, I'll remind you, I'll leave you by reminding you the two key reasons I think it may, it's smart for people to invest in in direct property. Now, I'm not saying everyone should invest in direct property. It depends on your situation, your goals, and all these sorts of things. Um, but if you're in a position where you've got a relatively small asset base and your goal is to grow that asset base, because as I've spoken about before, building wealth or retirement takes two steps. First one, grow your asset base. Then secondly, grow your uh, passive investment income. 
Um, you can't start off by growing your passive investment income if you don't have a strong asset base. So if you need to grow your asset base, so if you're in your 20s, 30s and 40s or even 50s and you're some way away from retirement and that's what you need to do, I believe property investment is a great way to do that. And there's two key reasons for that. The first one is that investment-grade property provides most of its return in capital growth, not income. Whereas with the share market, if your overall return is, say, 10%, then you're going to get sort of 4 4.5% of income, and you're going to get 55 to 6% of capital growth. Whereas with property, again, if you're assuming the long-term returns are 10%, and they are, then you're probably going to get, after expenses, net income around 2%, and you'll hopefully get capital growth of around 8%. Uh, well, that's what it's been. Well, it's been well above that in many areas over the last 30, 40 years, but let's be conservative and that's what you're going to get. So less income, more growth is much better because you don't have to pay tax on the income. You pay tax on the income every year, but not on the capital growth. Um, and that's a, that, that's a, uh, you then benefit from that compounding capital growth. The second reason is that most people feel more comfortable borrowing to invest in property than they do shares. So most people are quite comfortable to go out and borrow half a million dollars and invest in property, whereas they'd feel relatively uncomfortable to go and borrow half a million dollars and invest in shares. And they're the two fundamental reasons why property, if, again, your goal is to build your asset base, uh, is a good investment. You see, I've mentioned nothing about negative gearing. So negative gearing is merely a consequence of that investment decision rather than a reason for it. And that's why I don't think negative gearing is really going to change whether uh, investing in property is good or bad. It's really just going to incre- have a heightened focus on um, on really the asset quality to make sure you're more than compensated for the higher holding costs. Of course, if you're getting close to retirement and, and those and building around and you've already got a strong asset base then then quite possibly investing in property isn't the right thing for you to do okay i hope that's been uh, worthwhile as always uh there's uh, more information and links in the in the show notes if you need more information obviously a blog on our website uh if you're enjoying the podcast please do share or leave a rating on itunes that would be of a uh, great assist- assistance and until next week bye for now